And Father, we just pray that, that same thing over each one of our own lives, that we all have different areas of our lives and things are always changing and, and there are some portions where we have to kind of walk away from some things that we love in our lives. And Father, we pray that as that happens, as things go away and as things come, that, that you would use all of that for our good. We, 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 we hold that in faith that you use all of these things for our good and, and for your glory. And so, Father, we pray that we would rest in you as we just kind of go through life trying to find our way uh, Father, we, we, we know we need your guidance. We know we need your leading in our lives. And, and that's one of the reasons why we come to your word. We come to your word every day, just looking, longing to be led by you, guided by you, equipped by you. But we come here this morning um, in a unique and special way because we, we want to hear you speak. And we want to hear you speak clearly and powerfully through your word. And so... Father, we ask that you would do that this morning. And, uh, you know, all of the various things going on in our hearts and in our minds that, that could distract us from hearing you speak, Father, we just pray that you'd push that off to the side and clear our hearts, clear our minds so that we could truly hear you. Um, and we ask that you would speak to each one of us this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we're back in John, and so we're looking at John 6, verses 1 through 25. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up to John 6, verses 1 through 25. Um, it's a pretty long passage this morning, and if you don't have Bibles with you, we do have the passage up on the screen. John 6, 1 through 25. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages should not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. 
When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it's I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. And then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So I I want to pose a question I've been thinking about uh, quite a bit lately. And the question is, what was Jesus' main problem with the Pharisees? Um, I mean, we all know that like, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus. Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees. Uh, but the question is, what was the main problem? And, and I think most of us, when we're asked that question, our kind of gut reaction or our gut answer is, well, it was legalism, right? That the Pharisees were legalistic, right? They, they loved the law more than they loved people. But even... Even the last part of that, that statement kind of shows us that, that I think Jesus had a deeper problem than legalism with the Pharisees. Um, and I think his main problem with the Pharisees was actually hypocrisy. They, they wanted everyone to think they were legalistic, but they actually weren't. And they wanted everyone to think they loved the law but they didn't actually love the law. They, they were hypocrites. That's uh, why Jesus says, says this to, to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within... You are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so Jesus isn't rebuking them because they were so righteous. He's rebuking them because outwardly they appeared righteous. They wanted everyone to think they were righteous. But he said, actually, deep down inside you, there is no righteousness. On the outside, you you act like you are followers of the law. But on the inside, he says, you are full of lawlessness. He said, they're, they're, they're hypocrites. Um, which is why, when you start paying attention to, to Jesus' teachings throughout the Gospels, he's always talking about the heart. Always talking about the heart. And, and it's not because our actions don't matter, but it's because our actions have to flow from our heart. Otherwise, it's hypocrisy. Otherwise, we're whitewashed tombs, right? If you just think about kind of an overview of the Sermon on the Mount, that's what Jesus is getting at, right? He's looking out and he says, you think you're okay because you outwardly haven't committed murder and you outwardly haven't committed adultery, but 
If you're doing those things in your heart, you're still guilty of all those things. And so he's reminding us that, that what's going on in our heart matters. What, what motivates you, what drives you, what satisfies you matters. And, you know, on the surface it may seem like that introduction has nothing to do with, with the passage that we just read. And yet, as I studied it more and more, I think it has everything to do with the passage um, you know, these are two miracles I think most people have heard of, whether they've been a Christian or a non-Christian. I think most people have heard about the five loaves and the, and the two fish and how Jesus used that to feed a multitude of people. I think most people have heard of some story of Jesus walking on the water. And so we kind of know these stories, but John, you know, John tells these stories with a... With, a different purpose in mind. He's, he's not changing the story, but he's telling it with a little bit of a different slant because he wants to show us something. And remember, John calls all of these miracles, he calls them signs, not miracles. So John's not telling us like, look, Jesus fed thousands of people and that was pretty cool. And Jesus walked on water and that was pretty cool. You, he's a pretty cool guy. He's actually saying these miracles point to something and Jesus does them to, to reveal who he is. He, he's showing the people who he is through these miracles. And what John also likes to do is as Jesus reveals himself to people, then he likes to contrast how different people respond to that revelation. And in this story, in particular, I think John's contrasting the crowds and the disciples. And so he reveals himself to both people both groups, and yet they both respond very, very differently to who he is. And so one of the questions I want us to keep asking is, as we're going to look at both of these groups separately. So we're going to kind of do two quick overviews of both of these miracles, but looking at one through the lens of the crowd, one through the lens of the disciples. And as we're looking at both of those, I want us to be asking, basically, what's going on in their hearts? What's driving them? What's motivating them? What's satisfying them? So we look at the crowds, and it starts off, the, the, you know, the story kind of sets the scene. It says, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, like, if we've been reading the Gospels a lot, this doesn't seem like a big deal. It seems like pretty normal stuff because people were always following Jesus. And so he always had crowds kind of going alongside him. But, but one of the things that really struck me is um, where these people are following Jesus. Because um, they're not following Jesus to like all the best places of Israel, like the nicest places of the region. You know, they're not following him to the, the beaches at the Gulf and they're, they're actually following Jesus out into desolate, deserted places, treacherous places, kind of almost like desert places. And they're, they're following him out there. And it really, I mean, today we're going to see they're following him out into a place where there's no food for them. And yet they're willing to follow him there. There's there's this level of like commitment, right, and, and dedication there that, that you can see on the outside. They're willing to do really hard things and go to really hard places 
to follow Jesus. And we actually see that at the beginning of, of the next miracle. It says, the crowd woke up the next morning and they saw that Jesus wasn't there, nor were his disciples. So they got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Right? So again, they were willing to, most likely, it said some boats came into town, so they weren't their own boats. They probably had to pay to hop on other people's boats to go to the other side of the lake to find Jesus. And so they were chasing after Jesus wherever he went, and they were doing really hard things at great cost to themselves, difficult, kind of daring things. And the question is, what motivated them to do that? What was going on in their heart? And we were told that um, right away at the beginning of the story. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. All right, so they were willing to do these hard, difficult, costly, dangerous things because they saw Jesus healing the sick and they wanted, they wanted more of that. And, and if you remember, in the Gospel of John, whenever he says, they're following Jesus because of the signs, John's saying, that's not a good thing. Right? You should always have some red... I was going to say red flags going off in your head, but that's more of like a light. It should have some kind of alarm bells going on, thinking, okay, something is wrong here because John never says it's a good thing when people are just following them for the signs. But, but that's what motivated them to keep following Jesus. They, he had been healing the sick. He had been doing some miracles, and so they kept going after him. And, and you even see that as they respond to, to the miracle. It says, Jesus took the loaves, when he'd given thanks, he distributed them to all who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And then, when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And the reason I like this translation is it, it kind of emphasizes this point twice. They, they ate as much as they wanted. They ate their fill. Twice, John saying that twice to remind us, like, they had everything they wanted and more. They were stuffed. They should have been satisfied. But were they satisfied? They weren't, right? It said, Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, and so he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Like, the feeding, this miraculous feeding that Jesus did for them, it wasn't enough. They wanted more. They weren't satisfied. And what they saw in Jesus was this is a guy who can give us everything we want. And they wanted to make him king. I mean, I, mean, I think we would be happy with this guy right now. Be like, look, this guy, he can heal the sick. Talk about someone who can fix our health care issues. Right? Like, look at this guy. He can feed a lot of people with not very much food. Talk about fixing inflation. Right? And, and up rising food costs and poor. Like, this guy can meet all of our needs. Let's make him king. Whether he wants to or not, we're going to make him king. Why? Because they just wanted what he could give him, them. They actually didn't want Jesus. They just wanted what he could give them. And it results, says Jesus withdrew again. To the mountain by himself. And then we have the disciples. 
And the disciples followed Jesus too, right? And they followed Jesus to all of the the difficult places that the crowds followed him, right? They followed him into more difficult places than the crowds followed him. They followed Jesus at great great cost. We're going to see that later on where they say, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. But what I, what I love is as John kind of contrasts the crowds with the disciples, he doesn't show the disciples like perfect people. They're still questioning. They're still confused. They're still afraid. But there's a difference behind them on why they're, why they're following Jesus. And so we read this, you know, lifting up his eyes, Jesus saw a large crowd was coming toward him. And so he said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? You know, and, and what Jesus is doing, the reason why he's asking the question of his disciples, you know, Jesus already knows what he's going to do, but he asks the question anyways. Why? Well, because he's, he's teaching his disciples through this question. He's, he's helping them realize that they don't quite get it. They, they don't quite understand that there's still some work to do in their hearts and in their lives. And so Jesus says, Hey, there's this crowd of people coming. How are we going to feed them? And the disciples' response is, it's impossible. There's no way. And they get kind of a bad rap for that answer, but I think they're people. (laughs) And this is a really big group of people, right? So the story says it's 5,000 men. Um, and when you dive into the commentaries, most likely there are women and children out there too. And so they give numbers anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 people. We're talking more than the population of Beaverdam, right? Beaverdam, 17,000, 18,000 people. So we've got the entire city of Beaverdam coming, and Jesus says, let's feed them. I think if I told our church that, we would go, that's impossible. Um, he's saying that to 12 people. And, you know, they say, like, 200 denarii is not enough for them to even get a bite. I always like to try to translate that um, into our own kind of... So a denarius is like the average day's wage. And so I looked up what's the average salary in 2023 in the United States, multiplied it by 8 to get an average day's wage, and multiplied that by 200 $45,600, right? So they're, they're looking out at this large crowd of people and they're saying, we could spend almost 50 grand and they would maybe each get a bite. This is, it's crazy, Jesus. It's, it's, it's crazy. And then on top of that, they say, we've, we've got this kid here with some barley loaves and a couple fish. Um, which is really like the epitome of saying, <laughs> I, I, so we've got some bran muffins and some like pickled herring. It's, it's not like we've got some salmon and some loaves of bread from like Great Harvest. They were like little puny things that were not very good and not very big fish. We've, 
We don't have very much food. And most likely, this is something new I learned this week, there's a good possibility this boy was actually one of the disciples' servants, and he was, this was their food. And so they're like, there's, there's 12 of us plus Jesus, so there's 13 of us. We've got five loaves, five little barley loaves, and, and a couple of fish. That's hardly enough to feed us, let alone 20,000 people. There's no way. There's no way. And, and here's what I love about this, is that they're still convinced in their minds and in their hearts that this is crazy. And yet when Jesus says, go have everybody start sitting down, they do it. They, they listen to him. Even though they're like, this is nuts, Jesus. There's no way. But he says, go do it. And they go do it. They have everybody start sitting down. And then Jesus says, start handing out the food. And they start handing out the food. And then even crazier, Jesus says, now go back around and do what? Gather up the leftovers. And what do they do? There weren't any leftovers. There were five bran muffins. They obey. They go around. They gather up the leftovers and walk away with... They, they filled 12 baskets full from the five barley loaves, right? They, I don't know how much... I assume, just in my brain, five barley loaves and two fish fills maybe a basket. Maybe. And they began with one basket for themselves for their whole group, and they ended each getting to carry their own basket full home. And Jesus is saying, I'm the God who provides. And I don't just provide a little bit, I provide in abundance. And Jesus reveals himself that same way to them on the Sea of Galilee as well, right? They, they take off, they start setting sail to the next city, Storm comes up, the waves, the wind starts blowing, the waves start rocking. It's, it's complete darkness. I mean, that's the one thing that struck me this week. I mean, think about, like, we have light pollution. We don't hardly know what it's like to be completely dark. These guys are in the middle of a lake, thinking their boat's about to be capsized, and it's completely dark. And if it's storming that bad... There's no moon because the clouds are covering the moon. It's completely dark, and they think they're going to be thrown overboard. They see, it says they see Jesus, but from the story we can tell they see someone walking on the water in the midst of the night. And of course they're afraid, right? They, they, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near in the boat, and they were, they were frightened. That's, that's normal. That, that's natural. I, I don't, have any of you ever been in a boat you thought was about to be capsized? I have once, maybe twice, in the middle of the day on a small lake. It was nothing like this. It was really scary. I can't imagine being in the middle of night where you can't see anything, and then you see someone out there. Of course you're going to be afraid. But it's their second reaction that John wants us to pay attention to. All of a sudden, Jesus says to them, It's I, don't be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. 
And it points out they were afraid because they saw someone, they saw something, they didn't know who it was or what was going on, but the moment they found out it was Jesus, the moment they heard it was his voice and it was him walking on the water, they weren't afraid anymore and they said, come into the boat. They were glad for him to come into the boat. And it says they were immediately where they were going. And there's, you know, there's different ways to take that because all the other stories tell this as like Jesus gets in the boat and calms the, the wind and the waves. Uh, this could be a different instance. We don't know. There's, Jesus did lots of things multiple times. But on the one hand, that could be saying they were immediately, like Jesus got in the boat and all of a sudden they just arrived, right? Miraculously transported to the port. That's possible. Jesus did that kind of thing. It also could just mean as soon as Jesus got in the boat, everything went smoothly from there on out because he calmed the wind and the waves and they got to their port and everything went really well. But the point is, as soon as they welcomed Jesus into the boat, everything went smoothly from there on out. He provided for them again. And he provided for them more abundantly than they had ever asked or imagined and got them to where they wanted to be. And they were satisfied, and they were just satisfied with him being in the boat. And, and so you can kind of start to see some of the differences between these two groups and, and their reactions, right? Jesus comes to both groups, the, the crowds and the disciples, and says, I'm the abundant provider who ultimately satisfies you. And the crowds responded to that and said, that's not enough. We need you to be king. We need you to give us more. We're going to force you to be king. And results in Jesus withdrawing himself from them. And then the very next thing we hear is Jesus doing what? Coming near, the passage says, to his disciples in the midst of their difficulty. And, you know, the disciples weren't, aren't pictured as being perfect. They're afraid. They're confused. They, they doubt. They question. And yet, the repeated reference in here is that they're satisfied in Jesus himself, down, down at their core. That's why they're willing to go where he tells them to go. That's why they're willing to go do the crazy things like start handing out five loaves and two fish to a huge crowd of people. They're willing to do that because they trust him. They're, they're satisfied with him. That's why when Jesus comes walking across the, the lake in the midst of the storm, they're welcome. They want him in the boat, not because they're thinking, we're going to get something out of you like just as long as you're with us. This is going to be good. And we see Jesus drawing near to them and withdrawing himself from others. And, and, and you know, these kind of just bear these questions down, down for each one of us. Um, you know, what's going on in our heart? What's driving us? What, what's motivating us? What's satisfying us? Because that's the question, right? Or the question is, are, are, you, are you seeking after Jesus? Are you following Jesus because you want him or because you just want what he can give you. And that's, that's a matter of the heart. And, and as we can see, people who are seeking after Jesus just for what he can give them can look really impressive from the outside. They'll do hard things. They'll, they'll give up great costs. They'll give lots of money. They'll, they'll go to difficult places. They'll do all of these things. And it's impressive But Jesus says, you actually don't want me. You just want what I can give you. And that's not a sincere faith. That's a, that's a hypocritical 
faith. That's what they call like a whitewashed tomb kind of a faith because it's all on the outside, but on the inside, none of it's there. And so the question keeps coming up. Are you looking for Jesus because of him or because you want what he can give you? And, and that question becomes really clear when we find ourselves in difficulty or, or in trial, right? When we, we find ourselves in a place where we're lacking bread, that question becomes very clear to us, right? Or you find yourself in the midst of a storm, figuratively, metaphorically, whatever. Um, when you find yourself in the midst of a storm, that becomes clear. Do I want Jesus because of what he can give me? Or am I just good with him being with me in the storm? Am I good with him just being with me in the boat in the midst of the storm? Am I good with him just being with me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Or is that not enough for me? Do I need, do I need more? It's a question of, of our heart. Is Jesus enough for us when money starts to run out? When, when our health starts to fail, when, when jobs dry up, when whatever, when inflation keeps going up, is it enough for us to just have Jesus with us at trusting him in the midst of that, or do we need more? Um, what's driving us? What's satisfying us? And, and the picture that's, that's painted here is that like a true, sincere, non-hypocritical faith it says, Jesus is enough. And not just out of our mouth, but believes that right down in our core. So that whatever we end up going through, we know as long as he's here, I trust him. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to provide. I know he's going to provide somehow, but I don't know what he's going to do. I just want him here. And then I can trust him in the midst of that. It may look crazy what he wants me to do, but I'm going to trust him and just go do that. It may seem impossible. I'm just going to trust him and do that. I, I may be fearing for my life and freaking out right now, but as long as Jesus is here, I'm good. That's, that's what it means to be satisfied in him. Um, that's what it means to trust him as our ultimate provider. And that's ultimately what a true sincere, non-hypocritical faith looks like. As long as I have Jesus, I'm good. Let's come to him in prayer. Father, we, uh, we come to you, uh, continue to be thankful that you're our God, continue to be thankful for the ways that you've revealed yourself to us as the abundant provider who ultimately satisfies our deepest longings. We're, Father, we're thankful for that. And yet, Father, we come to you and we confess that we often don't live that way. We often live as if our work and our worry is what's going to, to solve all of our needs and what's ultimately going to satisfy. Or We actually look, act so often like it's your gifts and your blessings that are ultimately going to satisfy and not you yourself. Father, we just confess that to you. We ask that you would forgive us for that lack of faith or even that hypocritical faith that we all have from time to time. We ask that you'd forgive us for that, but, 
But even more so than just forgiving us for that, Father, we pray that your spirit would come in and, and change our hearts. Change our hearts so that we would truly be satisfied in you, that we would truly have a sincere, authentic faith in you, that we can trust you in the midst of the storm, that we can be satisfied in you in the midst of difficulty and rely on you. Father, do that in us, we pray, as we, as we go out into the rest of our lives and the rest of the world. Father, may we be satisfied in you. And all God's people said, Amen.